Hello, welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm here today with Mickey Willis. He's an investigative filmmaker. I love that title, by the way. Uh, you may also know him as the uh, creator of and the man behind and in front of uh, the Plandemic series. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic. How about yourself? I am doing well, thank you. Yeah, so before we dive into where we're at now, why don't you give uh, us a little backstory of how did that film series even begin? Well, I, yeah, the, the back back story is mm -hmm. I lost uh, uh, my older brother to a drug called AZT, which was prescribed by Anthony Fauci in the 80s and 90s, and it killed hundreds of thousands of innocent people. And so when I saw him re-emerge as Dr. the America's doctor in 2020, it, it took me by surprise. I assumed that, the, the, you know, that this man who was very well known for doing such great harm, not only with the AIDS epidemic, but with other pandemics and breakouts um, through his career has botched so many of these uh, these horrific circumstances and made them even worse that when I saw him resurface in 2020, I knew that something foul was about to take place. And and I reached out to my friend Judy Mikovits, who used to work under Anthony Fauci, to ask her what she thought was going on. And when she started to tell me her, the whole story, I figured it was worthy of the people knowing that information. I invited her to my studio and we did a sit down interview and that became Plandemic One. Yeah, no, I saw it and it was pretty uh, mind blowing. And she, she's wonderful. I, I've yeah. had her on the show and I've, you know, had dinner with her and she's, she's amazing. She's just a font of knowledge too. You can just like let her go and for hours and there will be just mind blowing information for a series of hours. <laughs> so. Really? Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. So uh, that's horrible, though, about your brother. Um, what was your thoughts when you started to hear all of this and uh, see what was unfolding uh, in 2020? And uh, yeah. Well, it came as no surprise, really. I was in the middle of directing a documentary called The Narrative, which was to expose the, the mainstream media for what it's done to us. Um, and it's still kind of shocking to me that despite the fact that we're all aware that the media lies and you know the last few years have really exposed the depth to which they're willing to lie and destroy um, the very country and world they live in. I was doing a movie to expose what I know about the mainstream media and so I was working with a lot of whistleblowers who were aware that because of what was unfolding in politics around the, the Trump presidency and a lot of things coming to the surface regarding Jeffrey Epstein and all kinds of insider trading and just a, just a milieu of of all the stuff that was being exposed that they were all suggesting that uh, a false flag uh, which is an event that is staged to get people to look the other way uh, away from the real crimes that a false flag was coming soon um, one of them said one of the whistleblowers i worked with said they knew that i i was at the world trade center in 9 11 they said you can expect another 9 11 size catastrophe to happen here any moment and two weeks later, the pandemic was announced. So it was something that we were already looking for and we knew it was going to come about. And uh, I always equate this to magic. If if my boys, I have two, I have a nine-year-old, 11-year-old, and we love to watch magic tricks. My 11-year-old is actually a really incredible magician. And we'd like to learn how they're done, how the tricks are done. And um, and so we call it the trick hand. You know, it's once you understand how the, the foundation of a card trick works or a or the, the 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 balls under the cup trick or once you understand the foundation of how those things work you start to watch magic in a very different way um, you can still be amazed by the sleight of hand and the, how skillful the the the, the trickery is um, but you no longer get fooled by it as magic and so when you understand how the this these agendas work how the dirty game of politics works you you start to look for the trick hand so while the one hand is saying look at the fire look at the dove look over here then you look at the other hand you go i see where you're going digging into the pocket there to set up the trick and once you once you understand how it works it's pretty easy to spot what's coming next yeah no that's so true and so many uh when you look through history at a, a lot of these uh you know, I call them the powers that shouldn't be, um, but they you can see that they're so enamored with magic. And, and I mean that in the literal sense, you know, oh, yeah. the the hypnotism, mentalism, uh, hermeticism. And they they've derived a lot of their tactics from, uh, you know, the the spell masters. 
No, they sure have. And the industry that I come from, you know, Hollywood, mm -hmm. Hollywood is the wood that is used in the sorcerer's wand. You know, exactly. so if you just understand that kind of stuff that they, they know what they're doing, they're casting spells. Yeah, exactly. I, I come from that world as well. And I'm, I'm curious if you, it, it, do you feel like at that time you were very aware of what was going on in Hollywood and how they were casting spells? Or do you feel like you uh, have a very different perspective now? Well, as I mentioned, I was at the World Trade Center in 2001. And that that was a snap to grid moment for me that I had to recalibrate who I was and why I was doing what I was doing. And I realized that I had been trapped uh, as a young young creative that came into Hollywood at 19 years old. And you get snagged up and snagged up in the machinery, and and because everyone around you thinks the same way, it starts to feel normalized. Uh, you're competing against all of your friends, so there's there there's a real level of insecurity that you have in Hollywood, kind of recognizing that that um, everyone is kind of out for themselves and is 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 there as long as you somehow might provide something for them. There's a lot of a lot of uh, uh, that kind of energy in Hollywood, and so I was already fully aware that it wasn't. It wasn't uh, the place for me, uh, and I was aware that there was a lot of dark stuff that happens through Hollywood because of its influence. So, um, and it's not just Hollywood, of course. If you want to find where the darkness resides, just look into all the power centers. Look at everything that has influence, the most influence. So, colleges, sure. colleges are some of the most corrupt indoctrination factories. Um, that we have right now. And why is that? Because, well, that's the place where you're training the next workforce. Those are the next people that are going to come out and they're going to run for politics or they're going to be the CEOs of the next big tech firms, whatever it might be. So these, or as we just what, recently saw, the doctors, right? The yeah. the chairs of the of hospitals, and yeah, exactly. So all that stuff with influence, even down to the you know the, the NBA and and the and Major League Baseball and all of that. Those are they understand that they have the the attention. They've captured the attention of primarily men, and the, the it's important to capture the attention of the men because the men are the ones that, that will traditionally go and defend the country. And mm -hmm. defend their families, and so once you've captured their attention, where does where is it they're looking? Okay, if they're looking at basketball every day and they're obsessed with it, we need to infiltrate basketball, and so they do. They create these systems called environmental social just uh, governance systems that force major multinational corporations that otherwise you would think are would be un, uh, uncontrollable because they're so big but they're not they still rely on the system they still rely on the central banks and and the credit lines and the investments and and so then if you can convince the banks not to in, invest in them if you can convince convince investors the big players not to invest in these major corporations unless they go along with the ESG program which is ultimately um, it is a doc doctrine of being woke, right? So it's like you have to have so many diversity hires. You have to, you know, paint uh, Black Lives Matter on your court. You have to put rainbows on your jerseys. You have to show all of this to to maintain a high ESG score. Otherwise, our our money people will not look at you. And so that's the way that it's all through money, and and that's the way that they get these major corporations to play the game. But the good news is, is a lot of them are waking up right now, and particularly since the boycotts with. Anheuser-Busch and Target, they're recognizing now that the people are recognizing that we have the power. And so now they're realizing uh, it's not just the bankers that we need to cater to. Maybe we should cater to our customers. What a novel idea. Novel, right? Uh, <laughs> but that that is such an interesting point. And it is so uh, hopeful um, to think that because a lot of people, the response I got from a lot of people was that, don't they understand that, you know, they're losing all their customers, Target and Bush. And I'm like, yeah, but they, they, they're catering to their C, CEI and their ESG scores. And, you know, that's really what they're concerned with because they think there's going to be a great reset. And then, you know, they will be, uh, you know, the one that is in power. Uh, but it's really great to see that there is some power of the people uh, to push back. But I think that right now they're kind of caught in a conundrum because they they have both sides that they need to cater to. And I don't know that they know quite how to deal with that. What are your thoughts on that? Well, again, it's the, the power is truly in the hands of the people. Unfortunately, we've we've never utilized our power because we've been lulled into believing that we are the consumers. And so we've just been mm -hmm. playing our part and, and fulfilling our role as consumers. 
they create something, they convince us through their, their advertising that we're incomplete and that we need their product to make us that much closer to complete, to, to mm-hmm. be the, you know, acceptable citizen in the world. And so we go out and we, we buy their products and we stand in line for the next iPhone, regardless of mm-hmm. the fact that our iPhone 27 is just fine, whatever it is, you know, and, um, and the, the camera has been slightly upgraded, but we have to stand in line for five days to get that new camera. They've, they've hypnotized us into this place of, of being these desperate consumers of thinking that these material items are in somehow going some way going to um, bring us the fulfillment that we lack in our lives and bring that purpose and meaning back into our lives. And they never will. I can't, it's just not designed to do that. It's, it's, it's a dopamine hit. It's, it's a, that's all it is. And it's a, it's a social um, flexing. It's, it's a way for us to just uh, to appear to be successful or to be with the trends and all of that. And, and so the the good news is is that the people are are waking up to that they're looking at that and realizing that we're being used as the masses have always been used that's why i chose in the, the great awakening my latest movie to really focus on the history of the world's de- deadliest dictators to understand how did they do what they did and has anyone really job. asked that and and articulated that in a way that's simple that can be received by um, the population and, you know, to understand how did, how did Mussolini do what he did? How did Lenin do what he did and Hitler and Mao Zedong and just, you name it, how did they do it? Well, uh, the, the first answer is they didn't, uh, the people did it, their citizens did it. And none of them would have had any power if they weren't able to lure the citizens into this hypnotic state, this cult and actually have them do, do their dirty work. And so we see that unfolding right now, which is why I thought it was the most urgent urgent thing to convey to the people is when you have half the population um, literally shaming the other half for not going along with the program for saying I'm going to wait before I stick something experimental into my body uh, into my bloodstream I don't know if this is good or not and I I, I want to exercise my right of common sense to say let me just hold out let me hold out a, a, a little bit to find out what's going what's going to happen and when you have half the population saying those people belong in prison or shut out of society and kept from medical treatments and from education and from grocery stores you start to understand how mao zedong and these other dictators were able to achieve that it's that it's that 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 aspect within the way we think that is is the real cancer that we can be actually led to turn on our brothers and sisters our fellow humans in a way that we want to we want to leave them in a in harm's way just because they won't go along with something that we've said yes to that's called groupthink that's called collectivism and that is deadly absolutely yeah you did a fantastic job with the movie um i also really love how you go through uh not just the history but the history of the personalities you know like i i that's like you showed the whole history of Klaus Schwab and his father and how he was a part of Idlewice. And, you know, that's something that I, I tend to do a lot of, uh, I call it like a cryptid history uncrypted, <laughs> mm-hmm. because I think that what people often don't, they don't look at is that we're dealing with people, right? So as you said, it's the people who actually, not just the dictators who led us into uh, these horrible, you know, like the whole atrocities of the 20th century, but it is the uh, manipulation of the citizens that enabled that to happen. And how did these dictators end up being the people to lead that? What yeah. were the pulls and the ties that were being, the strings that were being pulled on them? And I, I think I, so, sorry, to bring part back to the point was that it, you're dealing with humans. So I think we have to, we're in a, an age where people really want to, and I, I don't know that this is all that new. I just think that the uh, strategy of the game has become that much more refined. <laughs> so the dialectical warfare is, uh, uh, you know, very, very successful. And people are often, you know, trapped in the binary thinking. And so they want to vilify people or glorify them rather than looking at them as humans and understanding how do they get to the place that they're at. And yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a re- really good point. I, I just got back at 2 a.m. Uh, this morning from a couple of back to back screenings in Colorado and uh, the Q&A after the screening that was done last night, night before last. Uh, someone asked me, like, basically, in so many words, how do we take down Klaus Schwab? And, um, mm-hmm. and I said, well, 
you know, of course, I, I would love to see people like us stop doing what they're doing, but that won't change anything. That's that's not while he might be the mastermind of some of these ideologies and he's he's the facilitator of yes. these meetings where these they become an incubator for these ideas. Um, it's the people that participate, you know, so it's Mao Zedong had had an idea and he want, he had a, had a vision for himself as dictator. No one had to support his vision. And right. he could have just had his own vision, his own delusional vision, and been a lonely little angry man in his own, you know, in 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 his own little home, and no one supported him. And 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 had that happened, then eighty million people wouldn't have died at his hands. But it's the fact that, for me, it's the people who show up at Davos. It's the people who are who join the WEF, and who have a lot of money and a lot of power and a voice that matters that aren't speaking out about it. They go there and they sit there and they listen to it. They're, these are these are savvy people. So they they can listen to what's being said and realize there's some shady stuff being spoken here. There's some dangerous ideologies coming out of this place. And um, I, I know what's really happening here. We're trying to save our asses because we're, we've are we we've run into such debt that we no longer have the insurance money, the retirement money, and all, you know, these nations are in trouble. So we need to find a, a new plan that will um, allow people to um, blame something other than us um, or look the other way while we continue to rob what they have left. And we know what's going on here. Um, it's those people that need to stop. Those people need to stop participating in that and speaking out. And uh, it, will it be bad for business? Um, probably for a short period. But one thing I can tell you is, is from somebody who now does business kind of in this freedom truth world, uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, the big market here waiting for people to just be integral. And so I don't think these these people know how hungry people are uh, for companies that will will just support them as people and not lie to them and give them actually what they need and and tell them the truth about their products and and provide a service that's that's valuable you know, just old fashioned business. And if these people that attend these Davos meetings in Switzerland uh, just stopped paying their dues to Klaus Schwab, he'd have no power. So it's up right. to them, really. Those are the people that I that I think need to be really talked to and boycott it, like every single one of them. I think we need to go through the damn list of everyone who shows up to Davos, Switzerland, and yeah. and make it clear that the people are watching them. We know you're there. And if you don't come out and 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 let us understand your position for being there and and where you stand with that and are you supportive of everything that's coming out of there if so you've lost all of our business because yeah. we know what's coming out of there and that's what the people have to do we don't need electric elected leaders to do this we don't need a president to do this we don't need a government the government won't do it we don't need any of that it's it, we are by far the majority and so um, we need to we need to remember that and utilize that that power that we have to literally say we will not support. Uh, you know, for instance, why isn't there a massive boycott about TikTok? It's a data mining scam. It's it's um, when you understand that the Chinese version of TikTok is uh, teaching kids patriotic mm. lessons and science and everything. Science, they pipe all this harmful, degrading, demoralizing content our way. You realize that's part of the psychological subversion of of, psycho, of of a psychological war. And so why are so many Americans, why are so many Americans still participating on that app? They're uneducated. They don't understand it. But because they get their dopamine fix, because it's a trend, because it's where everyone else is, it's what everyone else is doing. It's that follower mentality that's destroying us. And so... You know, the Great Awakening for me is about sovereignty. It's about coming back into understanding who and what we are and that we are we have the power. We knew it as children and then we were wired to forget that. And yeah. it's time to wake up to remember that right now so we can um, just start doing what's right. You know, just everything. It really take a understand it. We're at war with China. I, I, I love Chinese people, but the CCP, their government wants to destroy America and they're doing a great job of it right now. The dollar, our dollar is almost dead. And everyone's jumping onto the Chinese currency. Um, they've infiltrated and stole uh, most of our our important technologies. They have eighty plus universities within our universities called Confucius Institutes. Yeah. They have over one hundred and thirty secret police stations embedded within the United States. They're the uh, they pump 
uh, almost 100%, if not a 100% of the fentanyl that has become the number one killer of people 18 to 35 years old and now comes in rainbow colors so children take it and die. And, and we're letting this happen and we have our uh, uh, selected officials out there doing meetings with China and, 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 and hailing them as, as a great model for the future of America. What, like what, what, really, really? This right. is this has to stop. And we have the ability to stop it by saying boycott China, boycott all goods. Let's become sovereign, uh, energy independent. We have administration that's trying to kill our energy you know, so that we become dependent upon other nations. We yeah. need to produce our own energy teach everyone how to grow their own food, stop yeah. with this BS about moving people into 15 minute cities where they can be surveyed and move yeah. them out to the 20%. Here, here's a little stat that I like to share with people because people talk about, wow, overpopulation really is a thing. No, it's not, not even close. 29% of, of planet earth is land. 7% of that is uninhabitable. It's high desert or Arctic, what have you. That leaves 22%. Guess what? We, we currently inhabit one to 2% of that 22%. So it's 20% left. Why are they not, if they really care about the environment and climate change and all this crap, why are they not pushing people out into the, you know, uh, out into the rural areas, teaching them how to, I just came back from a place where it's illegal to catch your rain. It's illegal to, to catch what? To catch rain, to catch your own rain falling from the sky. Wait, what? Yeah. And it's, I was like, I can't, surely I didn't hear that right. This what? is not, this is not uncommon. And a lot of states actually prohibit, um, give you a, a, a maximum of how much you can capture. Why? It falls freely from the sky. Why wouldn't we be taught if we really truly have an, a, an uh, inevitable water shortage coming or issues with water? Why wouldn't they be t teaching everyone? how to capture their own rain, grow their own food, educate, you know, and they're not, they're, they're, they want everyone, you know, I've been an environmentalist for over 20 years. And when I first learned that, that they have states that have, that are, it's illegal to capture your rain, like it is in many areas of Colorado, um, I couldn't figure it out. It just, cause I really believed at that time that they really wanted to solve the environmental issues and that we have some serious environmental issues and I couldn't figure it out until COVID. And then I went, oh, check this out. So now when you have somebody who's saying, look, it's my constitutional right to keep my family business open. You're not going to kill my family business. What did they do? They shut off their power and water. They want everyone on the grid so that they can control them. That's all it is. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, and the lie of the overpopulation, they actually admitted that it was a lie. Um, you know, they're the Club of Rome, <laughs> their mm -hmm. limits of growth document, right? In 1972, yeah. they couldn't figure out, they, they knew the people would not jump on board with this whole uh, propaganda. And so in their document, it was called Global Reformation Document in 1992, they actually admitted that they had to create a common enemy because if people had a common enemy, they would rally behind it. And so they decided that the enemy of humanity was man. So when they say the carbon they want to reduce is you, that they, they've already admitted it. So, right. That's right. Yeah. It's uh it's pretty astounding. Absolutely. Was what Kissinger, was right to said that? Was that Kissinger? That that said, said which? About the enemy of man who yeah, who 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 was that? It was in by? the global it was in the was. Uh, limits of growth document it, by the club club of Rome. Yeah, that was a, I know the quote. I wonder if it was Kissinger who wrote that so he's part of oh, the um, um that, that he's part of the I don't know who um, the actual I just know the document. I'm not sure like who Yeah. But anyway, good, person good, who said great, it, great but, point. Great point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Kissinger has echoed many of the same sentiments. So, yeah, yeah. Um, for sure. What are your thoughts on uh, you had talked about how we really don't need it to be coming from the elected officials. Um, but of course, a lot of these, you know, politicians and uh, certainly some presidents are being groomed and do attend these Davos meetings. And then they seem to work in conjunction to create these uh, public-private partnerships where they have these policies uh, that the government, ins you know, institutes that work seamlessly with the, all these corporations and uh, seem to advance this uh, globalist agenda. So what, what are your thoughts on that and what can be done about that? On what exactly? So you were saying that we really don't need to worry about these uh, elected officials who go to these Davos meetings, that really, we, because the people have the power and that we really should just boycott the businesses that are going. However, there are a lot of elected officials who are going to these meetings and not only going, but they're also being groomed, right? They, no, at the no, Young we, Global no, Leaders. and 
We should be um, concerned about about them too. That's what I mean. I just I mean stopping Klaus Schwab won't do anything. It's all the people right, who right. attend, including the elected leaders that that attend, um, because they know what they're doing, and they're they're all part of the popular club. And if everyone's going in one direction, they don't want to be left out, and they don't want to. Certainly, they know they'll get shut out of business if if they become the outlier. And right. so it's just really it's a it's a follower mentality uh, on so many different levels. You know, we're all guilty of it. Um, mm -hmm. And I, you know, I do my best to teach my boys uh, that not to follow trends because sometimes they'll come up. I really, we really need this, Dad. Why? And when we really boil down to it, it's because they saw a cool commercial or because their friends have it. And I just, I'm always like, let's sit down and talk about this because yeah. that is you're developing neural pathways, you know, that that you won't be able to escape later on because you'll just you'll fall into this groove where you just. You know, okay, people are the kids are wearing their saggy pants. I'm going to wear saggy pants. Kids are wearing tight fitted jeans. I'm going to wear that. Just be yourself. Set your own trends. I said, don't follow trends. Set your trends. Be a trendsetter, and do what yeah. do what you feel right, and don't don't care what other people think. And and uh, and I love it because you know we went shopping when we were in Colorado, and my kids end up with this, you know, my 11 year old with this funky pink and orange Hawaiian shirt, and my other one with like a Gilligan hat. And they have their own style. They're like, you know, we don't care. We don't care what other kids think. And that's, I love that. You know, sometimes my wife would be like, you want to buy that? I'm like, Shh, it's okay. Let them, let them, let them go there. <laughs> kind of cool. Let, let them express their individuality. Yeah, absolutely. Are your kids in school? Uh, are they homeschooled? Yeah. We, we have a homeschool co-op that we started. So we, we started a school and the school is now transforming. It's just finished its first uh, uh, year and a half. It's been going. And uh, we're reformulating that now into more of a full-fledged homeschool co-op where all the parents are responsible because it's been uh, my wife and I and a couple of partners that have been kind of carrying the load for this, the school that we started. And it's a lot of work and sure. and we have a lot going on. So we've just reached out to the parents to let them know that we're going, going to change the format. And and so um, and then we're going to doc going to document this process, too, so other parents can understand that. Because uh, a lot of parents are left in a situation where they're, you know, they they work a lot and they realize I don't have time to really homeschool, and I um, I don't want my kids sitting at home all day. They're going to play video games and whatever else happens when when they're left to themselves, <laughs> and they want them to socialize at the same time. And um, even parents that do homeschool, they also talk about needing more social, you know, camaraderie with with the kids, and so. Homeschool co-ops are fanta fantastic. It's a real simple model where, you know, you simply come together with a bunch of parents and you you find a, a we call them mentors, uh, not a teacher, but a mentor. You find a mentor or two. And um, and th that's challenging. But right now there's a lot of teachers out of work because they don't want to follow these these this the craziness of their yeah. school. And so it's finding the right people. I would say that's probably the toughest thing was we a lot of interviews to find the right people and to really let them know that you know, this is what we want to teach and this is what we don't want to teach. And where do you stand with that? And right. um, and uh, and so you find the right ones and then you you know, you it's shocking how much teachers get paid. It's absolutely shocking to think that, you know, 16 year old YouTubers making 10 times more than a, a 30 year veteran teacher, you know, and and it's. And when I we sat down with the teachers, when I asked them, "What what have you been getting paid as a teacher?" It was it was anywhere from three to five thousand dollars a month. You know, it was just a shocking that they yeah. and they worked like six days a week, teach for five, and one day on the weekend they have to prepare for Monday. Yeah. And uh, and so we said, let's pay them a lot better. And but what what would that mean? So if you come together with say ten children and you have a co-op, and every parent puts in a thousand dollars a month. Mm -hmm. well, well, then you have $10,000 there. So maybe you pay the teacher $8,000 and you pay $2,000 a month in a, in a, in a space, um, where the classroom is. Right. And, uh, and then the, t all the parents are involved in the, um, education. They're involved in the curriculum of what we do next. And, you know, that can be challenging because a lot of parents have a lot of different ideas. Fortunately, we live in Texas where there's kind of a, a unified, I can't imagine mm -hmm. doing this in California with all the, <laughs> crazy ideologies that parents have adapted to but yeah. here at least it's super clear it's like we nothing woke it's pretty simple mm -hmm. nothing woke <laughs> nothing woke you know there's no prejudice against you know uh that it's just that the people are just really fed up with being sold that everywhere they go and uh and so it's like let's let, let us parents deal with our children and their sexuality at home let's leave right. that out 
that's not up to the teacher, but we, you know, we, you're there when we want to learn the basics of what they need, but beyond the traditional, uh, you know, math and reading and, and writing and all of that, it's, uh, uh, especially with the, the new direction we're going into, it's where we're going to teach the, the group more of what I teach my boys. They're fully keyed in to what's happening in the world. I don't hide anything from that. I think a lot of parents make the mistake of, of thinking that their children aren't capable of of knowing what's going on but i think that that can be a problematic because uh the kids sense it they know something that mm -hmm. world isn't safe and they hear that they hear the conversations happening and they know it's radical crazy stuff and that that they're and you know that they're under attack and if yeah. you don't explain it to them truly what's going on in great detail like my boys I, there's nothing i withhold from my boys and they ask me all the time if they hear me listening to something or or a conversation I'll say dad what was that you were talking about that guy what is going on in china and with what you know they'll ask me and i tell them straight out here's what's up and there's as a result i mean i got the two of the happiest boys on the planet they're just my wife and i just we're like the only time they irritate us is like they're almost too happy where we're like just settle down for a moment guys we're in the car but you know i mean we're, we're we do that jokingly because they're just in celebration all the time and they know what's going on in the world and so it's this 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 uh, ability for us to understand that we're capable of of facing all of the darkness on our planet and shining our light so bright that it has no effect on us and mm -hmm. that's i think that's what we need to teach our children like yeah this is it this is what's really happening and um and it's scary and it's dangerous and that's all true and real and death is real and all these things are real and and um and this is what daddy's fighting for and um and at the same time this is it's it's even the the this the yuckiest of it is you know let's look at it like it's divine it's here we're here for a reason and as a monk taught me years ago he said resistance is the cause of all suffering and i remember mm -hmm. i heard that and i thought ah, that can't be true all suffering like and then on the way home from that meeting i had i'm this is 25 plus years ago i was in traffic in los angeles and i'm like honking at the car in front of me and i'm realizing <laughs> oh there it's this five o'clock traffic it happens every day yet here i am honking <laughs> as if i'm going to change 5,000 cars in front of me. I'm going to change the flow of this traffic. This is what it is. Why don't I just relax? Let me find a good station, turn on some music. And instead of having that irritating drive home, uh, I never, it, traffic never bothered me again. And so it's like, you know, I don't mean don't resist things, don't be c complacent and compliant, but, but at the same time, you know, what is, is. And so it, it's like, I teach my boys that, you know, it's like we have a pet that's on her way out, a cat. And it's like, okay, it's time for her to die. And this is a beautiful thing. And let's, let's, let's understand and let's not let her go to a point of suffering. There might be a point where we actually have to help her cross that bridge. And um, here's what it might look like. And it's wonderful. She's had 14, 15 years in this family with us. And, and so now it's time for her to move on. And, and the more we, the more we're okay with it, the more they're okay with it. Right. Absolutely. And that's such a beautiful outlook. What were your goals in, you know, it's an interesting title, The the Great Awakening. Um, and a lot of people say The Great Awakening will combat The Great Reset. So what was your hope in, you know, doing this movie? Did you, you know, yeah, what was your hope? And do you believe that The Great Awakening will combat The Great Reset? And what do you think is next? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it already is. Um, we, have a, we have a ways to go, a lot of work to do, but without a doubt. Uh, they they have manufactured the great reset for us and so mm -hmm. sometimes you know if we can all look back at how we've grown and evolved through our life a lot of the the tragedies were the things that really catapulted us yeah uh, my experience at 9-11 woke me up in a way that i don't I, it, I don't know anything less than that would have had me see myself and what i'd become in the circuitry of hollywood other than an experience of that magnitude and so while it's not fun to have you know, painful things happen in our lives. It, there's, there's also very teachable value that comes from e each of these moments. And, and, uh, and so I think that this is a, it's a beautiful gift and an, an ugly wrapping, you know, that it's, um, this is, people ask me all the time, because I'm a, I remain positive, but if, people saw what my team and I see, we get the footage before the news stations blur it out, right? So we see the decapitations that ISIS have committed or whatever you can imagine. 
right. we see this stuff and and yet um we remain really positive and upbeat how do we do that um yeah. people ask me that all the time and I, and I will say because I know how the story ends I say what do you mm -hmm. mean by that? I say because I'm a storyteller and when I was young you know learning at a write I was a writer in Hollywood for a long time wrote screenplays and what have you um, I studied the work of Joseph Campbell, The Hero's Journey. Yeah. And Joseph Campbell was a man who spent his life analyzing mythologies, the stories that humans have been telling each other since the beginning of time, yeah. way back to the etchings on the cave walls. And there's a commonality in every single story. And he 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 crystallized this into what he called the hero's journey. He he recognized that every culture, no matter what part of history they belonged, they all told a very, very similar story that only fluctuated in its um, in its uh, details of character and locations, what have you. But at the at the crux of it, there was it was typically a a um, reluctant hero, the anti-hero, the person who is just an everyday person. So this is going to sound like every movie that we've ever loved, mm -hmm. who suddenly stumbles upon some great cat catastrophe. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're charged with, and it can be something as small as, you know, saving a family pet or the the uh, meteorite is about to strike Earth. What do we do about it? Right. And, um, and then they you typically go out in search of the hero to save the world, or at least to save their world. And along the way, they are met with a lot of challenges and people that try to thwart their journey and also assist their journey. So they're, they, they're, they meet these mentors along the way, and the mentors ultimately prep them. So if you consider the Karate Kid movie, it's a really great example of a great hero's journey story of a young man who's being bullied and wants to go to the, to the, to the mentor, um, to the master, to learn how to fight. And the, the mentor says, okay, go paint that fence. Go wax that car. And, you know, the karate kid is thinking, what? why am I being used like this? This is not what I came for. I came to learn how to fight. Why am I waxing cars and painting fences? What is this? This is this just seems like a cruel punishment. And the moment he's engaged in a battle, he recognizes that he was building the muscle memory to block, to, to fight. That yeah. all of that was part of the journey. And so the mentors come along in their own way, which is not always understood by the hero right away, to prepare. Yeah. Prepare the um, the hero for the for the big battle, and um, and they're ultimately told that they are the one and that the force is within. And the hero always wins, even if the hero dies. The hero always wins. What they're seeking to accomplish, uh, the good of that, even if they have to make a personal sacrifice, um, the light always wins. And so there's a reason that we have been telling ourselves this story since the beginning of time. This is our story. And we are the hero, the forces within. We are the one. And we are about to approach the fiery crescendo where we will have to look the dragon in the eyes and make that, that uh, decision on and that realization that we are truly the one that came here to battle that dragon. There's no one else. There's no one behind us. And, uh, and that's, this is the time when humanity rises. And so I have no doubt that, uh, that the great reset is the great awakening. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Really hopeful. Um, I, I, I hope so. I definitely hope so. I, I feel like my, my fear is that it's going to be worse before it gets better. It will and be. yeah. Yeah. That's why I said, you know, buckle up for the fiery crescendo because it's, we haven't right. reached that yet. And it will be, but if you understand that that is part of the game, look at every single, every you know, the whole world is obsessed with Avenger type movies. You know, I can't stand sure. them. I can only because as a storyteller, it's, it is the same story over and over. Sure. And so my family always knows when it reaches the big fiery crescendo that I go, there goes dad. Cause I'm like, I'm done. I'm out. I'm, I, I know how it ends. I, I know I'm just, it's the same scene over and over. It's so cliche at this point. I want something unique. Right. But, right. um, but there is that fiery crescendo that 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 the, that we have to be pressed into the fire and 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 burn just enough to wake up, and that's what's happening right now. Um, and so it will get worse before it gets better. Who knows uh, what they're going to pull next? And and it could be catastrophic. And so prepare for that. But at least 
understand that it's coming. So you, you're not going to be shocked by it and, mm -hmm. and get your home in order and, and stand up because we win. Yeah. Well, so what should people do in the meantime? Because you said, you know, get your home in order uh, and people need to stand up. So what does that look like? You had mentioned the boycotting, but what, what are some mm -hmm. other things people can do? Get out of debt. Protect your children. Yeah. Pull them out of any kind of public school. Don't think that just because they go to a fancy private school that they're safe. That's where they prey on the kids because they know those are the kids that will go to the Ivy League colleges once they graduate high school and they'll be the ones that are leading big tech and politics and all of that. So oh, it doesn't mean they're safe if just if just because they belong to a private school. So protect your children at all costs. Um, spend great time with them. Go go backwards. You know, go back to what we used to do. Start having dinners together and conversing and being present and having good old fashioned conversations together because the the more we retreat to these digital worlds um the closer we become to being uh, uh, to accepting the transhumanist agenda because we've yeah. lost human touch anyway and so we won't even miss it when when we're chipped and 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 merged with technology and so we have to we have to fight for our humanity we have to fight for our nature um, returning to nature is really important. So there's the internal nature, returning to what we know, because there's a lot of synthetic information that we've adapted to that really has nothing to do with our intuition, our primal um, uh, intellect, uh, or anything natural or organic within us. We, we have adapted to rules of man instead of the law of nature. And so it's returning to the, to the laws of nature to understand that... Um, uh, that this planet grows all the food and medicine we'll ever need. And that anything that is not natural is probably bad for you. And, right. uh, and so just wake up to that and, 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 and break your addiction to comfort and convenience because it's killing you. Our, our wanting to just eat now, eat fast, eat whatever, eat what tastes good. You can make, you can make poison taste good. I mean, matter of fact, they do every day. It's all poison. <laughs> and, and, but, you know, it's not just that it's, it's sure. what is best for you. And are you taking care of yourself? And it's amazing how, how many people I know that take far better care of them than their car, than the vehicle that is their body. And right. when I'd ask them, it's like, would you, would you put, I've asked some friends like when they're like, ah, it doesn't matter a little. So would you put sugar in the gas tank of your, of your car? No. Why? Cause it, it does not meant to have that in there either, either is your body. And so just really, you know, like we, the, the self-discipline of fighting all these urges and, and our addictive, um, the addictive patterns that have us seeking um, stuff that is just instant pleasure instead of happiness. The big difference between pleasure and happiness. And, yeah. um, and, and one of them, you know, triggers serotonin, one triggers dopamine. If you understand the difference and, 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 and how addictive dopamine is, then you'll understand the the um, the motivation of most of your actions in life. It's all to get a dopamine hit. And uh, your favorite TV shows, your favorite music, your favorite, and, and a lot of that, there's nothing wrong with it, but to recognize that if that's driving your decisions and you're choosing your food based on your dopamine hit instead of your health, instead of the longevity of your future, um, then you're go you're going to have the future you deserve. You're you're putting sugar in your gas tank, and your car won't survive long. And and if that's your your choice, we also have the freedom of will. And if that is your choice, and you're okay with cutting cutting your life down, and and perhaps having diabetes and and an uncomfortable life for the last ten years of your life, then keep doing what you're doing. It's 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 okay as long as you know what you're doing and you're consciously choosing to gradually commit suicide. It's your prerogative, but at least understand that um, no one's to blame but us. We make these choices. We put these people in power. We look the other way when we're Netflix binging and NBA binging and whatever it is, and we, and no more. Most men know more about their favorite sports team than they'll ever know about who's running their, for the local office in their county or whatever it might be. You know, like okay. th this is what got us here. It's yeah. our responsibility. And a lot of people don't like to hear that. But the truth of the matter is, is, is the moment we accept that we have the power to do something about it. Because the moment we say they did it to us, it's those people over there, we're the oppressed ones, we're powerless. But the moment we say they facilitated this, 
but we allowed them to do this to us. We have the power. To, we could have said no. We could right. have asked. We could have said, I've said to a friend who has a child who's in really bad shape right now. I said, when you first chose that school for your daughter, did you have a teacher student, a teacher parent meeting and find out what that teacher's about, what they believe in? No, we didn't do that. Did you meet with the school board? Did you find out what they stand for and what they're about? Did you meet with the, no. How did you choose your school? Well, it was the closest one. Exactly. So the right. person that's going to have yeah. your child for six to eight hours a day, the, the institution that's going to have your child for six to eight hours a day, you didn't even inquire to find out what they're about, you know, and I've been guilty of this myself, but this sure. is what we all need to look in the mirror and say, wow, comfort and convenience. It was the most mm -hmm. convenient school. Interesting. Right. And now I've lost my daughter to this madness because I wanted something that was convenient. That is devastating. So devastating. It's really interesting when you talk about the dopamine, because I, I think people often think of uh, dopamine as the, uh, you know, it's the, the pleasure um, uh, neurotransmitter. And they think of it that way as like a reward, but it's really, it's part of the reward circuitry, uh, but to, uh, to trigger motivation, essentially, because we had in order to survive in, you know, historic times, <laughs> things were not easy. And so we needed to, the, the dopamine was to drive us to do the hard work like hunting or, you know, gathering or well, whatever it may be that we needed to survive. And it, it's very ironic that I like the way you said it, like they may be the ones that facilitated it because they did, uh, in many cases, they've created this, uh, like you talk about consumerism, and that is preying on this dopamine reward circuitry system that is innate in all of human beings. Uh, but we have fallen prey to it instead of, I mean, we have the cognition to say, okay, we recognize that. And, and certainly now that's being brought to the forefront. Uh, people can at least look at it and say, okay, this is being manipulated. And it was something that really was hardwired for survival. So I think that it's it makes sense that it was not an easy cycle to break. But hopefully now people are becoming wise to it. Yeah, yeah like I said earlier on, had people become wise to it before Mao Zedong did what he did, 80 million people would have, um, wouldn't have lost their lives. Um, but the way they set this up and it's same thing that's happening right now with our current administration. So take yeah. for instance, January 6th, yes. that was largely, you know, a smear campaign against Trump and his people, of course, but what else, why, why do they, why are they still holding people three years later in jail for, you know, most of them, or trespassing, just, you know, something w when we had, you know, rioters and looters that burned down our cities and killed people yep. that were bailed out the next day yep. and, and, and remain free today. Why is that? Well, because they're, they're scaring people away from, from all the dissidents. We're all dissidents now. We have to understand that. We, you know, we have, yep. we have foreign dissidents coming here. We are American dissidents. We, we recognize what our government is doing. And so they want to make it, they want to, why did they start to try to pass bills calling parents terrorists? Uh, that were going up against their school boards because they right. want to make it so scary. And we, they can now use that example of like, but they're still holding those January 6th people in prison. I mean, what if they lock up the parents and we're in prison three years later? It's a scare yeah. tactic to get people to stop protesting. But with what we know now, it's amazing to me at how people are so captured that they'll go to the streets and, 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 and thousands and protest for abortion or climate change or whatever at, at the drop of a dime. But but no one's out there really protesting what the government has done and, and what happened to the anti-war protests and what happened to, you know, uh, just learning what's happened within our medical industry, that the protocols and the lockdowns have have uh, ruined lives, have divided families, killed local businesses, killed our mm -hmm. economy and have put uh, many people out on the streets and have killed loved ones. Where's the protest for that? You know, there, there people are so under control that they're protesting things. It's not that they don't matter, but on a, on a, on a uh, level of priorities, a lot of this, most of the stuff they're in the street protesting right now is not, shouldn't be top priority. There's so right. many very important things for us to deal with right now. And yet the people are too afraid to get out there and protest. What, you know, what did they, when people were protesting the COVID break, the COVID lockdowns, how did the media spin it? 
It was a right-wing neo-Nazi event. And you have a lot yep. of Democrats and far lefties and progressives out there going, I'm right-wing neo-Nazi. What, what right. is this? You know, and, but it's <laughs> I, like, as soon as they brand it as that, then they go, okay, I'm not going to come out here anymore because I don't want to be called that. Well, that's right. how they do it. They're manipulating you to not go out there and to use the power of your voice and your presence. And we all, we need to wisen up to that. And because when we all um, refuse to play that game, when we all refuse to be manipulated by fear, and we say, we're still going to show up and we're going to keep showing up and we're not going to stop. And we're going to be in the halls of the Capitol talking to these crooked politicians to ask them why they're passing these bills and allowing um, obscene uh, information to be read to five-year-olds in classes, classrooms. Yeah. I don't know if your viewers have seen all the times that parents have taken books up in front of the school board and start to read them out loud. And they say, yeah, that's too obscene. You can't read that here. And they go, then why are you teaching my seven-year-old this? I can't read it here in front of a group full of a hundred adults, but you can read this in a classroom of 27 year olds. Like there's like, you're admitting exactly why we're here today, that it's not appropriate. Um, yeah. And they spin it into xenophobic or transphobic or homophobic or whatever. So that people are like, no, that's not, that's not who I am. I'm, I'm, I have a problem with the extent to which you're pushing it and who you're pushing it on. Live your yeah. life, do your thing, you do you, it's fine. I've always been that one. And I remember back when I was a you know, hardcore, far left progressive, buying into the whole thing of, of you know, to hear these Republicans say things like, you know, I'm like, why would you fight against gay marriage? Who cares? Who has the authority to tell two human beings, two adult human beings who to marry or not? Mm -hmm. You know, I understand there's just some biblical issues with that. I understand that. But if someone doesn't subscribe to your Bible or your God, if they're whatever they come from, um, you can't force your religion on them either. I mean, mm -hmm. this is America, home of the free, right? Isn't well, it? Well, it's also, even if you do come from a biblical worldview, that's the whole premise of free will, right? Is that you don't force it, your will on it, others. It, you it, it absolutely is. <laughs> they they are, are free to choose. So they uh, may agree, they may not. <laughs> that's exactly right. Even Jesus said, you know, hate, hate, the, hate the sin, not the sinner. And so, you know, you look at that and you go, okay, well, most people kind of stand there where they go, well, this isn't the life for me. Even a lot of Christians stand there. They go, that's not what I would choose. And I wouldn't want my children to choose this lifestyle, um, but I'm going to love those people anyway. That's most, most real Christians stand there in the right. true, true spirit of Christ teaching. Um, and yet they're pushing this stuff so heavily that suddenly now we all see rainbows and it's like, I was born in my, my brother was gay. He came out at 14. He was 14 when I was born. So all I knew was my brother was had girlfriends and boyfriends. And so it was, you know, um, it, it, you know, we can get into the philosophical debate about whether that's right or wrong. But all, all I know is from my perspective, that was my brother and I loved him. Um, and so I've never been against that. Um, but today now I'm, you know, I go with my family. I'm like, oh, look at the rainbow flags everywhere. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm even thinking this. I was right. born adjacent to a, a gay community. And but suddenly they're pushing it so hard that even myself, who who have been very open uh, regarding let live and let live, now I'm going. I now I remember what the Republicans said that I used to just criticize them for. They were like, the problem is, is it won't stop here. Remember that's what they all said. The problem is it won't stop here. Right. And I thought, how do they know that? You know, that's that. Oh, they were right. It didn't stop there. You gave them an inch, then it's like now we want this. Now we want. It's not that they want, they're fighting, they're not fighting for equal rights anymore. They're fighting for extra rights now. Yeah. Anti-hate laws, but they want on top of that. It's like we have discrimination laws and anti-hate laws. They've been established a long time ago. Why do trans people want more laws? Why do they want, because right now, you know, people talk about white privilege. Are you kidding me? There's more trans privilege on this planet right now than anything. You know, and a trans person can say and do just about anything, and no one can say anything against them, otherwise they're transphobic. Right. You know, instead of just going, no, maybe that person's an asshole, whether they're trans or not. <laughs> right, right. Call, maybe it has nothing to do out. with Nothing to do with that. It's like, look at their behavior. Dylan, yep. Dylan Mulvaney. It's like, I don't like him. I think he actually has some great comedic timing. I think he's got some talent. Um <laughs> But I don't like him, not because he's trans. I don't like him because of the way he's trans and he's making a mockery of women. Right. You know, so I don't, I don't want to say I don't like him. Let me reverse that. I don't like his style. I don't like his behavior. 
because he's mocking women. I don't like the trans athletes that feel no shame in stripping women of their medals and honors. And Where are the feminists? Why are they not outraged? Don't get me started on that one. I've been saying, right. I've been saying, I'll say to your audience, women out there, as a man, please hear this, step up. Because men are so confused right now. I they bet. don't know whether they open the door for you or not. They don't know when they're going to be shamed or thanked. And so there's a lot of men ready to fulfill our primal role to protect you. But we don't yes. know if you want us to or not. So when you step up and say, we need, we need you to have our back, we'll be there. But please take that first step. We need the women to step up right now. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that. I think, you know, they they've essentially tried to a lot of what they do is this, you know, Hegelian dialectical games and part of the dialectic, you know, I, I typically people think of like thesis, antithesis, synthesis. And that was actually Kant who said that and they call it the Hegelian dialectic. Right. But Hegel, who definitely drew from Kant for sure, uh, I would argue he drew a lot from Plato as well. But he will argue that it was the, uh, you know, the abstract negative and concrete and uh, the the negative is very important because that is where you get this uh haven de culture from that concept and mm -hmm. so really the whole purpose is to negate is the nullification and what do they do with the toxic masculinity they negate men and they're now doing this with the trans they're negating women i i think that people need to recognize that why didn't the men step up but i love what you said because if women were to step up and say no we actually need men to be men you know and that then they would know that that's okay and that they haven't been completely canceled um and i, I actually mean that kind of literally because that was the intention it is to negate and uh yeah the way that you can uh re restore would be for the women to stand up and say no that the men can be men and then that in allows us and enables us to be women right that's right yeah. that's right that's that's the natural balance of the masculine and feminine and there's there's a real reason that they're trying to blur those lines because when we lose that we we literally lose our nature to procreate we, we lose our nature to to do what we came here to do which is to amplify this beautiful gift we call life and right. when we don't have that natural attraction or or we can't fulfill our roles because we're going to be called toxic or whatever it might be, um, uh, then we literally, we, we lose our purpose. And when we lose our purpose, that's when we become incredibly, no matter how intelligent and strong we are, we become very vulnerable to these agendas because... If you're out there leading a meaningless life and feeling like I this is not what I had planned for myself, and then suddenly a a, a narrative comes along that uh, all you have to do is put on this fifty cent mask and go out in the street and you're going to be seen as the righteous one, the good one. That's all you have to do is fifty percent. I mean, fifty cents to be a hero, and you go out there and now you just shame everyone on Facebook and let them know that you're the good one, keep reminding them, keep virtue signaling, and, and then you develop this, this tribe, this collective of people who believe that they are the good and the rest are the bad, the rest are the ones that are uneducated, that are lower than human. That's how every collective has ever been activated that has ultimately done great, great harm um, throughout history is just starting with that, is leading people into a place of meaninglessness and then giving them meaning, simple meaning, because people don't want to do hard work. They want to do something yes. simple. So if they can just repeat lines, if they can just put a Ukrainian flag or a Black Lives Matter block on their Facebook, what it's little easy symbols to say, you know, I'm I'm part of this collective. And now we're the good ones. And you can, no matter what what behavior you have in your life, might be a drug addict and an adulterer and and a child molester, whatever it is. But but the way the world sees me is how I want them to see me, which is you know shining example of of uh, a, a good person and right. fighting against all those bad people out there who won't comply with our goodness. Um, and but uh, you know again the upside to that is a lot of those people who were just out there shaming people two years ago are waking up right now to to recognize that they were as the dictators have always called them a useful idiot mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. That's so, so well said. Um, it's ironic when you talk about how uh, it has to be something simple because people don't want to do hard work. Uh, but the irony of that is that's really where the meaning is usually derived, right? Oh, the what, hard work. It's the hard yeah. work. And that's yeah, what makes something right. meaningful and worthwhile. Um, right. Yeah. And when you talk about the virtue signaling, it's really interesting because in 2020, when everybody was very busy virtue signaling, you know, I had uh, an incident with the the Black Square for, you know, Blackout Tuesday for the Black Lives Matter. And I had many instances where people were, you know, shaming me for not virtue signaling. And when that one came came up, I, I got viscerally like upset really, really upset. And I intellectually understood why I had a problem with virtue signaling. You know, my response was, I I tried to be very polite with the person who uh, confronted me, but I said, you know, I think you can do so much more for a cause if you really care about that cause, uh, you know, but without virtue signaling a black square on, you know, I'm not really sure what that's going going to do if that's my cause, you know, Uh, but I couldn't understand why I was so upset by it. I mean, I was really viscerally enraged to be really honest. And I had to look inward. I'm like, why does this bother me so much? You know, and again, intellectually, I got why I had, why it was problematic, but I realized that it was because growing up, uh, you know, I was born with many uh, medical challenges. I'm visually impaired. I'm hearing impaired. I, you know, I had many uh, significant uh, physical medical challenges growing up. And I remember that, you know, they weren't, as a young child, they were visible to others because I wore big hearing aids. I wore a patch over my sighted eye. There was, you know, <laughs> uh, it was definitely noticeable. But as I got older, it wasn't. And I remember they would go out of their way to accommodate the people who were in a wheelchair, for instance. And when I would make, it was the first time in my life, I'll make the story really, I know we need to wrap up for time's sake, but uh, for the first time in my life, I had actually requested a note taker when I got to college because I realized I was legally, you know, uh, allowed to have one, uh, that that was something they could accommodate. And it was very overwhelming. I was suddenly in bigger classes, much further away from the teacher. I couldn't see the board and hear the teacher and read their lips. And I learned how to speak very reading lips. And it was the first time I asked and I went and I said, you know, I think I might be... uh, entitled to a note taker, which would really help me. And they said, but you're doing fine. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it if you're having trouble. And I remember I screamed at them and I said, well, what if I wanted to do great? You know, why, why is fine? Okay. You know, and I realized I was really upset because there was a woman in a wheelchair who did not have the same challenges. She had other challenges. Obviously, they went out of their way to make a big show of how they were going to give. I didn't even know you could get a note taker. They were going to give her a note taker. They were going to give her all these accommodations. And I was like, but she doesn't need them. I mean, she may have other needs, you know, and those should be accommodated. But I realized is it made them look great. Because they were showing, look, we're accommodating this quote unquote disabled person. And I actually had challenges that required such needs and they wouldn't accommodate me because it didn't make them look virtuous. But anyway, all this to say that, you know, I I realized why that was so, because they're not helping the people they purport to help. It is just to pat themselves on the back. So, uh, sorry, I apologize. It was a longer story, but. Yeah, so um, I do want to be respectful of your time, but uh, yeah, please, uh, I I want to know before we wrap up, what are your next plans? Do you have plans for another investigative movie? And uh, yeah, we'll also tell everybody where they can find you and all your work. Yeah, I I have a couple of ideas that we're we're cooking up right now. I'm going to take a little downtime. Downtime for me means um, time away from a, a large movie so I can get a lot of little movies done. And so we have other other movies that are coming out and um, and a lot of other media that we're building right now um, to expose other narratives that are popping up uh, daily. Uh, But Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of ideas have come up uh, for my next movie uh, that I think are probably the most urgent and and important narratives to expose out there. So I'll announce that pretty soon. Uh, But uh, everyone can see any of my movies, Plandemic 1, Plandemic 2, Plandemic 3, and a couple of uh, other uh, short films that I've done um, at plandemicseries.com. And everything's free. Matter of fact, my my book is on there and it's free. I made a deal with my publisher, Skyhorse Publishing, which really uh, impressed me that they said yes to this. But I said... Yeah, I said, is is the moment I my book makes... I know you have an investment. The moment my uh, book makes your money back. Um, I want to give it away. That's that's my deal. And they said, let's try it. And they stuck to it. And I had to pay for the uh, cost of the audio book. Um, 
because I knew I wanted to give it away. And so I did that and brought back all the characters, Judy Michaelvitz and David Martin and so other other characters and brought them back and they actually recorded their voices and and they're all part of it. So it's a kind of a cool thing. And that's on there at pandemicseries.com. That's on there for free, free download. And the reason I give away my, my books, every time I talk about giving away my books and movies, people always say why. And and the answer is really simple. I believe that this information has been stolen from the people and it's my it's my job just to give it back and not to sell it back. Um, and I can only do that because my films are made 100% through public donations. And so there's also a donation but button at plandemicseries.com. And if anyone would like to donate to my next film and even the ones we have in production now, which are very, very important, um, we could use it. Um, we're always running on a shoestring um, and we have a lot more work to do. But uh, all of it's there at plandemicseries.com. And I thank everyone for their support financially and also for the support and sharing the films if you haven't seen any of the pandemic series or if you missed one or two or whatever it might be i highly recommend just skipping to number three because it's the most urgent um, of this moment and then going backwards and watching the watching the other two if you if you feel so inclined um, but number three uh, if you the the greatest help we can get right now is just helping to get that out into the world it's doing really well and it's reaching the masses. Um, so get it out there, download the file, share it from your own computer. And um, I will say this, that it's a, it's the safest film that I've made within the pandemic series. So far, I haven't heard of a lot of backlash at all from people and people aren't getting shut down and censored. Um, it's, a, it's a film that it can I have a lot of people sharing it with their quote unquote liberal friends, and they're actually um, responding very favorably. So um, it connects the dots. Suddenly, yes. this absolutely insane world might make more sense to you after seeing The Great Awakening. Hopefully, it does. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I I think you did a fantastic job with all three of them. I think you made really compelling cases and that are really, as you, you seem to be finding, are accessible to people regardless of their worldview or political alignment and really help connect the dots. So thank you so much thank for you. all the work you're doing and for spending time with me and my audience today. And I look forward to your future conversations. Thank you so much. I'm happy to come back anytime. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.